Our priest is a dying man. The dying men, women, youth. And I will preach as though I will never preach again. So God, God has his reasons for why he saves us in stages. Sanctifies us slowly, makes us fill up every day at his pump. Lest we forget where the gas comes from. Welcome to Follow Me to Heaven, where your questions matter and God's word is truth. So we have been in the book of Ephesians for two weeks now, and this will be the third week or the third episode of Follow Me Through Ephesians. And I cannot wait to get through this. So without further ado, let's uh, let's go ahead and dig in. We're going to read actually from chapter one in Ephesians verses one through 14 because we want to well actually let's do this verses 1 through 10 and we're going to touch more deeply on verses 7 through 10 so the word of God says this Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. What a beautiful passage. I I really love this passage. And the more I'm reading it, the more I'm studying it, the more I am falling in love with the letter of Ephesians. Um, There's so much truth in it. Well, obviously, right? God's word is truth. But, but it's just crazy how Paul just cannot contain himself in the things we, we have and how God has blessed us, even though we deserve none of it. None of us did anything to deserve what is given to us. And we will actually touch upon that um, more deeply in this verse or in these few verses. So let's reread 7 through 10 and dig more deeper. So it says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Wow. So, 
So yeah, so verse 7, right? It begins with, in him we have redemption through his blood. So let's, let's look at that, right? So in him, who is the him? Him is Jesus Christ or the beloved, right? In verse 6, it says, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in him. So in the beloved, the beloved is the one that is being referenced about in verse 7. In him, the beloved, we have redemption. We have, basically, we, uh, we are in possession of. We, it is ours. What is ours? Ours is the redemption. So let's, let's, let's talk about redemption and what is redemption, right? So I looked this up in the dictionary, and actually this is what it says. Number one was the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. Number two is actually what this is talking about because it says the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. That is what is happening here. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it's the parallel passage, and this is what it says. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his of the Son he loves. We have redemption. What is the redemption from? The forgiveness of sins in him. So again, that is the parallel passage of what we are reading in Ephesians. And it says the same thing with different words. Here he uses the, the idea that we are being rescued. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. This is still in Colossians 1, 13 through 14. Domain of darkness and transferred us. So we are in one position. That position is darkness. The domain of darkness. We are there apart from Christ. And it says that he had transferred us into the kingdom of his son he loves. So, let's but look back at Ephesians and reread what it says. In him, we have redemption through his blood. So, in him, we have redemption. So, the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment. And what is this payment? What did Jesus use to redeem us, right? The idea is to redeem us. And it says, through his blood. So his blood is what purchased us out of this darkness. So you could say death, sin, had, had us in shackles. And the only way to release us from these shackles was the blood of Christ. Because the blood of Christ cleanses us from our sins. And once we are cleansed from our sins, sin is no longer a problem for us. Right? So in him we have redemption. The idea of gaining possession of something or gaining possession of us, we are that something in exchange for payment. What was this payment? The payment was the blood of Christ. And this is why he had to be hung on a tree to bleed. The Lord's Supper. We take the Lord's Supper as a remembrance of his death. We proclaim Christ's death through the Lord's Supper. This is why it's important to do the Lord's Supper and obviously do it in the right, proper manner, in a holy way, understanding what Christ really did for us, that he cleansed us of our, all our sins. He forgave, forgave us, right? Because that's what it says uh, right after. So it says in him, in Christ, 
in the beloved, we have redemption through his blood. The blood was how he did it. What did he do? The forgiveness of our trespasses, it says. In Colossians, it says the forgiveness of sins. He uses these two these two different words to convey the same meaning, the trespasses. Imagine trespassing someone else's property. You're not supposed to be there and you are trespassing. Well, we have trespassed God's law or we have sinned against God. It's that same idea, that same meaning, that same meaning we have redemption, right? God has done this work, right? This, this rescuing of us and transferred us from one place to another. We were in darkness, now we are in light. Or we are brought to the kingdom of his son, it says in Colossians. And in here it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Right? So, not only have we been forgiven of our sins, but this was done according to the riches of his grace. What does that mean? The riches of his grace, or you could say the abundance of his grace. God's grace is far beyond us. And he even tells Paul, right? Paul was suffering. Paul was confused even in Asking the Lord to take away the thorn that is in his flesh. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. What does that mean? Imagine a fish. So I believe this was either Paul Washer or Charles Spurgeon, one of them two. I don't know how I can get them to uh, confused. But the idea is imagine you being a fish in the ocean and afraid of drinking up all the water a small fish a goldfish imagine a goldfish and then you being afraid of drinking up the whole ocean the ocean represents god's grace the fish represents us that's how rich god's mercy is that's how abundant god god's grace is how far beyond us god's grace is more than we can comprehend fully this grace, according to this grace, God forgave us with the blood of Christ, and that's what redeemed us in him, in Christ. This is the idea of us actually being redeemed. We, we are in shackles, dead in our trespasses, it says in chapter 2. Obviously, we're not there yet. But the idea is there, is that the fact that we can't do anything of ourselves, this is why he sent the Savior, to save us, right? If you are in a burning house, it's burning down, there's no way out, you can't get out, someone comes in there, grabs you, pulls you out of the burning house that you were left to die, but instead you were saved by that one person, you are let's say, recovering from that. And as soon as you look up to see who saved you, uh, they flee, they go away. Now you really want to know who this Savior is. And what Paul is doing, he's explaining what God has done through whom he has done this and why he did all this, right? And we will read that. 
We will read the why God did all of this for us. We were left for dead, and instead God rescued us. That's the idea of salvation, being saved, right? We have no part in God's saving work other than the sin that we actually committed, right? Because we, we need to be saved from something. So what, what did we have to contribute to the salvation? Well, your sin or our sin, my sin. But instead, God, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, it says now in verse 8, which he lavished upon us. So the idea of lavish is being washed, right? There, there's this idea of just abundance being conveyed here, which he lavished upon us, this grace that is rich, lavished upon us, washed upon us. How did he do this? In all wisdom and insight. Now let's pause. How many of you know that one song where it says that God's love is reckless? Well, Paul would beg to differ. It says, which he lavished upon us, so this grace that is rich, right? Which he lavished upon us, how did he do this? In all wisdom and instruct insight, right? So in all wisdom, right? Wisdom is to do something wisely, not just recklessly. So instead of God's love being reckless, meaning he has no control of this, he actually did it in all wisdom, it says, and insight. So let's really think about that. Because insight, this is what the dictionary says about insight. The capacity to gain an accurate and deep intuitive understanding of a person or thing. But the difference here with God's insight, God doesn't learn anything, but instead he's done this accurately with deep intuitive understanding. Does that sound reckless, out of God's control? No, instead, Paul is bringing this doxology, this praise to God, the triune God, by saying, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. And then in verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, so now he's bringing praise to the Son. And then, verse 11, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Right in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Praise God. For God's spirit. Praise God for this. For, for him actually to send his spirit to dwell in us. That now we may be able to walk in this newness of life. We are a new creature with new desires. Where is this new desire coming from? Well, the spirit of God. 
The Spirit of God is what produces the, the fruits of the Spirit. So every time you show the fruit of the Spirit, it's not coming from you. It's coming from God. Praise God. Because it is only that in how we will be able to worship and praise God properly. Jesus tells us that in order to worship God, we are to do it in spirit and in truth. Well, we have to get of right mind, do it in truth, and the only way to do that is to be in Christ. Because when we are in Christ, the Spirit is with us, and we are bringing praise to God. And this doxology is coming from God himself. It's producing these good fruits that move us to do these good works properly, the right way, right? We're not doing these good works for um, our salvation, but we're doing these good works to bring praise to God. See, that is the difference with between the unbeliever and the believer. The believer can praise God for all the goodness that he has given us. The unbeliever cannot praise God. Instead, he praises the air or himself or herself. So again, us being made alive puts things in its proper place or its right place. And then now we will be able to worship properly or the right way. Instead of boasting in of ourselves, we'll, we boast in the Lord because the Lord did all this for us. Sorry, I got a little preachy there, but um, it's just beautiful. Really taking this apart and reading what God has there. It says, which he lavished upon us. He didn't withhold his grace, but instead he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Now, let's get to verse 9. In verse 9, it says this, Making known to us the mystery of his will. So God made known to us the mystery of his will. All right, so... This mystery is basically speaking about something that was hidden for a reason, right? So we know that God's design, God's purpose all along is for his people to understand his purpose. But obviously God withheld some of the details of this plan. But now it is revealed to us, and how it is how is it revealed? It's revealed in his son. It's revealed through the gospel. Right? God revealed this divine mystery, this beautiful mystery. And what is this mystery? According to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. So that is the mystery. This is the mystery of his will. God revealed this to us. And, and the idea of him making known, right, is whenever he spoke through the prophets, is whenever he made revelation of something very important to listen up, to hear. Every time Jesus spoke, when he would say, truly, truly, or verily, verily, it's as if he's saying like, amen, amen, right? Whenever we finish our prayer and we say amen, 
amen is, is a sense of yes or it's a sense of like exclamation. So Jesus would, would say truly, truly, meaning listen up. I'm about to speak and I'm about to say something that is very important. So again, this is that idea of God making known this mystery. And we are to listen up. What is God making known? Well, it's the mystery of his will. Well, it is this will that God wants us to learn about. And it says, according to his purpose. Again, God being the center point of all this. And it's saying this is according to his purpose. And also, like the mystery in Paul's writings basically like refers to something that was obviously hidden and is now being disclosed. And what Paul is doing is he's unraveling this mystery just in case we missed it. But again, he's reminding the saints, he's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus. We are also saints. And this letter is for us as well in the sense of understanding what God has done for his people. And it says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. All right, so he set this forth in Christ. So this heavenly counsel, Jesus was all accord with the Father. It was their plan all along, before the foundations of the world, before anything was made and created. It says, set forth in Christ. So this means that Jesus knew this plan. The reason why he came and what was this mystery that he did. What is this mystery? Well, this mystery is to unite all things. That's that's the idea that verse 9 is conveying. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Now let's get to verse 10 because this is where it, it talks about that. That he is to unite all things. He is uniting all things. It says, as a plan for the fullness of time, right? The, the fullness of time. And it says, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So, right, it was God's choice to predestine us, right? He has predestined us. It says he predestined in verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So God's purpose in predestining us is to be his sons, to be adopted. So also his design to basically reveal this plan according to his purpose, right? It was set forth in Christ. This this is referring that they too were in plan. They both were intimately involved with this plan. And then we get to verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time. So this is understanding that 
um, the purpose was divine. Right? So God set forth his plan. But not only in Christ, but also as a plan for the fullness of time. Basically understanding that this plan that we, we, we are getting is basically the act of administrating or that which is administered, right? A plan. This plan is whenever you get together with someone and plan something out, you are tackling it from all angles to come up with the best plan for whatever you're coming up with, whatever plan uh, you are doing. And to plan something, you are brainstorming. But here it's, it's conveying this divine purpose that was done within the Trinity, the council of heaven, you could say. And it says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. What is God doing ultimately? God is uniting all things to himself. And actually in Colossians, we also get this idea of all things being brought together. Um, let me read this for you. It says this. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And you who were who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now listen to this. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Right? And he continues to talk about all of that. But now, what is God doing in all this? Chapter 1, verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So that is the idea. That in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is God. And through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things. All things are coming together. Right? Reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So that is, that is what's happening. That Christ, God, is uniting all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. There's a portion of scripture where it even talks about that the creation groans or moans for the redemption of the Son. Or the sons, right? Us, when we are brought back to Christ, when when this fullness of time begins, or or when this fullness of time uh, comes into play, it says to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
Christ died on a cross. He rose from the grave, seated at the right hand of God. And he even says in Matthew 28 that all authority has been given unto me. Go, therefore. So Jesus gives this command to go. But before he gives this command, he says that all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And now he's commanding everything to come back to him. It's, it's, it's like we're being rooted back into Christ because it is in him where we get life. In him we have obtained an inheritance. In him we have redemption through his blood. In Christ, we are given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We were chosen in Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Right? So, the purpose for God doing what He did by reconciling us back to himself is to unite all things, is to bring things back together, things in heaven and things on earth. And this is a beautiful thing that God set forth his plan, this divine plan, because we see that all of this is done for a purpose, and this purpose is to bring glory to God Right, because that's what it says in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The purpose of us being reconciled, being made alive, is to bring glory to God and God alone. And I would just challenge you, if you have not done so, or if you've just been lacking, I would say just re-examine yourself. First of all, to see whether or not you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, I would say, praise God and continue to praise God. And if you are not in Christ or you don't even know what that means to be in Christ. Jesus lets us know that we are to repent and believe in the gospel. And what is this gospel? Well, this gospel is about Christ and his work and what he has done for us, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in your in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, right? And you continue reading, but in verse 4 it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive altogether in Christ. By grace you have been saved. So how are we saved? We are saved by grace in Christ. And how is that done? Well, we recognize that we are dead in our sins. We need saving. And the only one that can save us is Jesus Christ. The Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of Scripture that has been revealed. This revealing to us. Right? We have redemption in Christ. What are, being, what are we being redeemed from? Well, sin. And death. See, in Christ we are made alive. That's the idea of being born again. So if you have not been born again, I would just say, pray. Tell God your faults. Tell God that you have broken his law and you are worthy. You are, you, 
are worthy of the death penalty. The death penalty is hell. But you recognize that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, meaning he has come to save us. And those of you, even you, if you don't know him personally, I would begin first by just saying repent. Repent from your sins. Turn away from it, recognizing that sin will just continue to lead you to death. Turn your back on sin and turn to Christ for salvation. Put your trust in Jesus. And that's what it is to repent and believe in this gospel. This is the gospel you believe in, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save us from our sins. According to the scriptures, it says that he was buried, meaning he died for you, for me, for all of those who believe. He died for us. And not only that, he was buried and on a third day, he rose from the grave and now he is seated at the right hand of God. He is God. He is the one who conquered the grave, conquered death and sin. Uh, that's the idea we get in the story of David and Goliath. See, David is not us. David is the the. David is Christ. Goliath is death and sin. And David defeated Goliath, cut off his head. He crushed his head. Right, the seed of the woman crushes. The serpent crushes his head, right? His br heel is bruised, and that's the, the picture of the crucifixion. But Jesus conquered the grave, meaning death has no hold on us anymore. So this is the beautiful thing, that we can now face death as a beautiful thing. Because the only thing that death can do now to us is bring us to Christ for us who believe. But for us who don't, well, the second death awaits you. And that's a, that's, a, that's a sad thing to learn and understand and know. That not only God is holy, but he is just. He is righteous. And nothing unclean can be in his presence. Which is why we need to be washed and cleansed by the blood. Because it's only then... That we can be redeemed. We can be taken out of darkness. It tells us in Colossians. Into light. So I would say. Repent and believe. Once you've done that. Praise God. Now get into his word. And ask God to reveal himself to you. As you read. As you learn more about him. And grow. That's the idea of growing. But we don't grow alone. We gather with other brothers and sisters and we grow together. So I would say, find yourself people who can help you walk you through the scriptures. Connect yourself to a church if you don't have a church, a sound biblical church that preaches God's word. And just always, always, always be thankful for the things that God has given us. And Christ and for revealing his mystery to us. This is Follow Me to Heaven with Jonathan Romero.